Have you ever felt the earth move? Now, I know as people in the upper Midwest, that doesn't really happen to us. In some parts of the world, if I were to ask that question, they'd look at me like, yeah, it was just a couple days ago, right? It's not a very common thing for people that live where we live. Now, I've never experienced an earthquake. But roughly 20 years ago, I was meandering through the Office Max building in Sandusky, Ohio. Now, I'd made the trip across town to pick up some office supplies for our church office. And while I was there, I was just looking around at some other things, seeing what I needed. And I suddenly, no kidding, I felt the ground move under my feet. And I don't know what I did. I just remember I felt wobbly and completely out of control. And I had no idea what had happened. There's not earthquakes in Ohio, are there? I didn't know. Did a truck like run into the building or something? I didn't see anything fall off the, off the shelves. I didn't know anything that had happened and there were no people around me. And so thinking that maybe it was all in my head, I decided not to say anything. So maybe a few months later, maybe it was even a year later, I didn't go to Office Max that often, but I was in there and it happened again. Now, most of you would probably think, okay, I'm not crazy. I actually thought I was, right? I'm like, why in the world am I experiencing this? And it, it was, I wouldn't say I was terrified, but to not have your feet underneath you was an interesting thing. And so having, this hap- having it happened a second time, I decided to actually ask somebody about it, not somebody that was at the store because I must have been embarrassed or something, but I asked a few acquaintances about it, and they looked at me like I was loopy. I mean, like, more so. Uh, they looked at me like I was going crazy. Well, then finally, I talked to a friend, and he informed me, haven't you been paying attention? By this point, I maybe lived there nine months, over a year. There's a quarry across the street, Mark. They're blasting. But I thought something major was happening because I was feeling, I was feeling the earth move under my feet. It was a terrifying thing to think that the one thing that should be stable was moving underneath me. Well, as we land in the last part of the 12th chapter of Hebrews today, we're seeing that we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What God gives to us in our salvation in Christ is sure. It is secure. secure. Our feet, our legs will not wobble in Christ. And this for us is a sure hope that gives us peace. And so as we navigate through this passage, we're going to see this imagery, this idea of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so to understand this passage better, we're going to break it into our three points today. And the first thing that we are going to see is that there are two mountains. Now the author of Hebrews has been contrasting things in the Old Covenant for us throughout this whole book. The idea is that things were this way in Israel, and then in the New Covenant, it's this way. And we've, we've been seeing these contrasts. We've seen that the, the temple was but a picture of the actual thing in heaven. 
And this general idea is continuing, but this time the author of Hebrews is contrasting what happened at Mount Sinai with Moses, and then now, Mount Zion, the place of salvation, the city of God. And the idea in this that we're going to see is that Mount Sinai was filled with fear and with rules. And there was great fear over the presence of God that was there. But we're going to see that Mount Zion symbolizes the grace that we have in Jesus and that it's so much better. And secondly, we are to hear the word And we are to take it seriously. Now, while the idea of the two mountains expresses the idea of fear versus grace, this does not mean that we take the commands of God less seriously now. In fact, the author of Hebrews says that we should listen intently because this is a message from heaven. This is God speaking to us. And so we are to pay attention and to take it seriously. And then finally we see that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now this is an amazing message for us because it means that we can have confidence in the grace that God has given us. But again, this does not mean that we are able to be lackadaisical about the things of God. Instead, we see that the sure confidence that we have in God should lead us to worship Him with the reverence and awe that our amazing and holy God deserves. And so as we start off this morning, we're in verses 18 through 22. And as we look at this passage, as I've been looking at it myself, I'm reminded how there's so much continuity through this book. Everything is connected. And there's, there's an argument that's being made that's flowing here. To prepare for preaching through Hebrews, I have read through it at least 50 times. And from beginning to end, start to finish, and every time I finish, I'm not exaggerating this, every time I finish reading this book from chapter 1, verse 1, till the end of chapter 13, I'm amazed at the argument, at the story, at what is being told and how it all flows flows together. It's so amazing. It doesn't get old. One argument after another, using imagery that the people hearing this would understand. Now, for me as a 21st century Gentile living in North America, if I'm able to see that, imagine what the original audience would have seen in this Old Testament stuff. How deeply they would have understood this message and how all that stuff in the Old Testament was pointing to Christ. Christ. Imagine that. Imagine how the light bulb was coming on for them. Well, once again, here in this passage, we start with Old Testament imagery. And notice that the author is telling them that these are things that can't be touched. Now, the point that's being driven home is that these things that he's talking about are things of the earth. They they were from God, but they were earthly representations of heavenly things. Now, we've seen this idea throughout the book of Hebrews, and I'm I'm struggling struggling to keep coming up with a fresh illustration of what this looks like to make sure we understand this idea of there was there was the the type and then there's the actual thing of God. And so 
I think I've got a good new one. Like I said, I was struggling to give an example, but I think I've got a good one that I came up with. I think we've all seen a good cover band, haven't we? They're really talented, and when they play the song that you really like by your favorite band, they might play it perfectly, and you might get excited to hear them play it. But it isn't the same. It's just a representation of what the actual band would play. But it's there, it's in front of you, and it's accessible to you. But if you had the opportunity to hear the actual band play, you would naturally choose to see them, right? Well, several years ago, my favorite band had several bands that they influenced do a cover album of all their songs. And while I find them interesting, and I like to hear their takes on it, it's not the same. If I have to choose between a cover and the real deal, I know which one I'm going to choose. I listen to the real thing. And so, it's the same idea here. Even though I may enjoy seeing a cover band play a song, I might drive, drive across town to see them. But I'll drive a couple hundred miles, maybe even a thousand miles, to see what I really want to see. And the author of Hebrews is calling the people to stay with their new faith in the Lord Jesus, not just because it's better, but because it's true. And what they were following in the Old Covenant was just an image. It was just a cover of the heavenly things and the heavenly realities that they were now experiencing in Christ. And so we read that in Jesus, we don't come to those representations, those, those covers, those things that are represented and can be touched and that are earthly. The fire and the tempest and the sound of the trumpet were earthly things that were experienced in the Old Testament. And these things were so grim that those who saw them and heard them begged God that he would no longer interact with them in this way because the people could not bear it. And there was a reason for this. This isn't just something random that the people couldn't bear it. There was a purpose behind this. God was holy, and they couldn't approach him on their own. And as we read here in this passage, not even animals could touch the mountain without having to be stoned. Now this seems like a strange limitation, but the point was that the mountain was set apart and that God was there and he was meeting his people there. And they couldn't just flippantly approach God. Like, hey God, buddy, what's up? They couldn't do that. And we have seen in Hebrews how the way that the temple was set up showed this to the people. It showed them the holiness and the presence of God. And the same idea is in play here in this passage. And we see that even Moses, who was appointed by God to interact with him on behalf of the people, even Moses trembled in fear at the mountain. But we see a very quick switch here in this first part of the passage. This mountain has a contrast. The people who have faith in Christ are not approaching Mount Sinai. Instead, they approach Mount Zion and the city of the living God. They're approaching a mountain that they have been given access to 
by the work of Jesus on their behalf. And it's not a mountain of fear. It's not a mountain of trembling, but it is a mountain that is about God's mercy and his grace. And we see this when we read about Jesus. Notice what it says here about who is at this second mountain. Now the first mountain had Moses as the mediator, and Moses himself trembled with fear. The one who God is speaking to, the one who is representing the people, is terrified and afraid. But Mount Zion has a different mediator. It has Jesus. It has Jesus. And it has the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, this is kind of an off-reference to Abel here. But if you know the story of Cain killing his brother, what did God tell Cain? That the blood of his brother Abel called out to him for vengeance. We read that back when we were in Genesis. The blood of Abel cried out for vengeance. Well, now, the blood of Christ shed for us, it cries out, but with a message of forgiveness, with a message of grace for the people of God. And that's what's being said here. The message of Mount Zion is not vengeance. It's not fear. The message of Mount Zion is mercy. And not because of anything that we do, but because of what God has done to save his people. The word from Mount Zion is that the blood of Jesus has been shed to give you access to this mountain. And so come freely. Instead of having to worry about whether or not your animal even touches the mountain, and whether or not you'll be stoned for getting too close, with Mount Zion, you can come as close freely as you like. Because access has been given to you through the blood of Jesus. And so we've seen these two mountains. And now as we move on to our second point, we're going to see that while there is mercy and grace at Mount Zion, that doesn't mean that we take the commands of God lightly. We are told that we must listen to the one who's speaking. Even though it is a message of grace, this doesn't mean that it's not urgent. It is an urgent, urgent message. If God is speaking, we are to listen. If the message of the law was to be heard and obeyed, how much more urgent should it be to hear and believe the message of deliverance from God? That's what's being said here. The people were judged for refusing the message from Mount Sinai. But it was not the final message. It was a message from God. And it was delivered through Moses. And we're meant to understand now that God is speaking through the Lord Jesus. And there's a word coming from Mount Zion calling us to come from Jesus. And so we need to really understand this. And to do that, we need to look back really quickly to how the book of Hebrews started. Look at what it says. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. God has now spoken in his Son. In the past, God spoke through the prophets. But now we have Jesus. And we have the message of salvation in him 
And the message of, of this book is now coming full circle. It started out talking about that message, and now the author is bringing this idea back. God has spoken in his Son, and so we need to listen. We need to be filled with great attentiveness to listen to the Son of God because this is a true message of salvation. Now in the Old Testament, the ground shook at the sound of God's voice. But in Christ, something greater has happened. Not only has the earth been shaken, but we read here that the heavens have been shaken. This word, this message of salvation in Jesus changes everything because it's the ultimate message that we were waiting for. Everything has changed because of what Jesus has done. And the author of Hebrews tells us why this is. At Mount Sinai, the earth shook. But the work of Jesus to save his people even shakes the heavens. And this changes everything. It is so that everything that cannot be shaken would be all that remains. And so you get the imagery that the author of Hebrews is using here. We understand this. It's like when you shake something, there's other stuff in there and you're shaking it to get to the heavy stuff that actually matters. It's the same idea. You shake the things that don't matter away to get down to what you really want. And the work of Jesus shook everything and it takes away the earthly things that were just pointing to him in the first place. And that is what is eternal. That is what lasts. That is what matters. It's like the shaking that is done when you would pan for gold. You shake away all that other stuff. It's just dirt. And then you pick up what's heavy and what matters. And it's a treasure. You shake away the things that don't matter to get to the treasure. And as we read here, this treasure that we have in Christ cannot be shaken. And so that brings us to the third point as we look at the final two verses in our passage. And we have to notice here what our response is to be to this. Gratitude. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In Christ, the ground beneath our feet is unshakable and it's immovable. It's been shaken down to the treasure. And that treasure is Jesus. And we found it, and we don't need to shake it anymore. He is ours, and we are His. We have found the treasure. And so this kingdom is unmovable, it's unshakable. We are heirs of God. And so we are recipients of His kingdom. And what a blessing this is. Most of the things that we desire, most of the things that we value, they're temporary, aren't they? Our possessions that we work so hard for can burn or be destroyed, or they can even be lost to time, right? Even the relationships that we value can be lost. Let's be honest, everything of this life is fleeting. It's all vapor. Every last one of these things can be shaken, including ourselves. And that's why the blessing that we have in the Lord Jesus is the most valuable thing that you have. It's the pearl of great price. It's the treasure that is to be sought. It cannot be taken from you 
Because it isn't dependent on you. It's dependent on the God who has shaken heaven and earth and found the treasure of the gospel and given it to you by faith. He's done everything to bring you into right relationship with himself. And that is what we have spelled out for us so clearly in the book of Hebrews. Jesus has paid the price. He has shed his blood. He has risen and passed through the heavens and he has taken his seat at the Father's right hand to be our mediator. His work is finished and his kingdom is unshakable. So we respond here as we read. We respond in gratitude. And the author of Hebrews lets us know that it isn't simply having a good feeling about it. That, that isn't what gratitude is. It's like, oh, I'm so happy I have this. That's not what's meant by gratitude here. The gratitude we have for receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken leads us to worship. And the beauty of it is that it allows us to worship. We can boldly go before God and worship him because we know that our sins have been paid for and we go before him with a clean conscience. We go to Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai, where we can't even touch the edge, where our animals can't even touch the edge of it. We go to Mount Zion and we can worship God boldly with gratitude because of what he has done. But at the same time, as we read here, this does not mean that we just go before God flippantly. Again, there is great gravity to this. Just because we relate to God now through grace instead of through his law, doesn't mean that we just do things as we please. We're commanded here to worship God with reverence. We're commanded to worship God with awe. And we do this when we conform our worship to Scripture. And we worship God in the manner in which He desires to be worshipped and in the manner in which He commands us to worship Him. And these final two verses let us know that worship is serious business. Our God is a consuming fire. Now this is a quote from the book of Deuteronomy. And it reminds us of the holiness of our God. Remember, fire cleanses, fire purifies. And the author of Hebrews wants us to understand that even though we are receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken, and we have received it by grace, it is still very important to be addressing God with reverence and awe. And so that's what we do. We come before him in reverence and in awe, understanding the splendor and the majesty of his holiness and how blessed we are to not only be saved by his grace, but also to understand that we are his children and that we're heirs of his kingdom. And this is such good news. And it shows us the mountain that we've journeyed to. Having arrived at Mount Zion, we are at the pinnacle of God's grace. Having arrived at Mount Zion, we are at the pinnacle of mercy and of love. And so when we're there, we now worship him in spirit and in truth with reverence and awe because our God is a consuming fire. And so with these truths spelled out, we come away with two applications to challenge us as we step away from here this morning. Then the first application that I have is actually a question. Which mountain 
are you climbing? Are you trying to climb Mount Sinai? Do you believe that your salvation is somehow dependent on you and your ability to keep the law? Now this is so easy to do. We can even say that we believe that we're saved by God's grace and still think that we need to climb Mount Sinai. But we have to understand that as good as the law was, that mountain was untouchable. God is so holy and we're not. We need somehow to be able to approach God. And it's not going to be through the law. We can't do it on our own. No matter what we do, we can't climb that mountain. It's not possible. If we try to save ourselves, we will be destroyed by our stubborn insistence that we can merit righteousness by ourselves on our own apart from God. Instead, what we are called to do is to go to the mountain of grace Through the gospel, we know that Christ has climbed the mountain for us. He climbed Mount Sinai on our behalf so that we can climb and be, actually, we don't climb on our own, do we? He grabs us. He takes hold of us. And he takes us to the pinnacle of that mountain by his mercy. Through the gospel, we know that Christ has done this And we are holy and righteous in God's sight. And there is peace and there is great joy when we daily rest on that great hope and we trust the voice of God in Holy Scripture that tells us that it is finished and that we have salvation in Christ. So what mountain are you climbing? Are you trying to reach God on your own by your own merit? Or have you laid hold of Christ who carries you to the pinnacle of Mount Zion, to his mercy and grace. And secondly, worship God in grateful adoration. What great application for us today. Because we have been united to Christ, he has laid hold of us and climbed to the pinnacle of the mountain of grace for us. In his death and resurrection, we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, I think, we, I think we struggle to truly lay hold of and to grasp not only the gravity of this truth, but the beauty of it. No matter how your life is shaken, no matter how the ground quakes beneath your feet, when you are in Christ, you have treasure that will remain. What an amazing truth this is. In a world where everything seems to be shaking, You have Christ, and he will not let you go. He is the treasure. So no matter how the world shakes, we remember this truth, that in his death and resurrection, he has climbed the mountain of the law for us, and he has brought us to Mount Zion. And so may we come before him and worship him. Worship him with reverence and awe. For there is no other response for us to give. We literally owe him everything. And so daily, may we fall at his feet, offering our worship and our lives in devotion to him. And so, 
May God, through the power of the word and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, grant you a desire to worship him that your life might bring all honor and praise to our God. For he is a consuming fire. Amen.